Well, good morning, everyone. It is today is Thursday morning at eleven o'clock. So you know what that means. It's time for Bible study live, and I am so glad that you are joining in today. And I want to just uh, want to just say thank you, especially to all those. I'm trying to touch that button on the screen there. To all those who watch this later on too, I love having a group of you jump on live and we can kind of get a little dialogue going. But uh, you know the beauty of this is that it just can be watched at any time. And uh, hi Beverly, good to see you today. Uh, I, I really want to thank those who are, who are coming in. Let me see if I can get this to pop up. Um, there it is, good. This, uh, this Bible study is, uh, is something that is, is a slow process. You know, we're, today you're going to see that we are, this is part three of Luke chapter six. And we're going to take the Sermon on the Mount in a, that, that Luke gives us in, in three different sections. So uh, don't get discouraged if it seems like we're just going slowly through the scriptures. There's so much there. It's so deep. We want to really work it into our lives. So this morning, as we're getting, uh, just kind of getting started and, and thinking about things, I, I hope you've got a cup of coffee with you or a cup of hot tea or, you know, it's getting cooler out in the mornings, so it's kind of a great time for something, something warm to drink. This morning on my way into uh, my counseling office, I picked up Dunkin' Donuts. So especially feeling like fall, I had them put a little of their pumpkin spice in there and mmm. That's really good. It just feels like fall outside when I wake up in these early mornings. And even though it's getting a little warm in the daytime, that's okay. Because the, uh, the nights and the mornings are really cool. So I hope you get a drink, get something, get your Bible, get a page, a, a notepad, or something you can take notes on. Good morning, Judith. Good to see you. Uh, because you're going to want to take notes on this. This is, what we're going to look at today is the greatest sermon ever given in the history of the world. Whenever we talk about the Sermon on the Mount, those words of Jesus, think, we can think of it as a sermon, but it was more than a sermon. It was really his, his, it was like his greatest collections of everything he taught. It's the essence of everything he taught. I'm sure that he gave this talk over and over as he went around the countryside uh, preaching and teaching the gospel. So, uh, Yes, it is one sermon, but it is also many sermons. It is the wisest words. And here's what's fascinating to me. Everyone in the world considers this sermon. I mean, everyone, not just Christians, everyone, every religion. They will look at this sermon and they will consider these are the, these are the greatest words ever spoken. No other teacher, not Buddha or, uh, or Confucius or anyone else, Muhammad, none of them have ever even approached teaching something that is so loving, so profound, so life-giving as Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount. So, pay close attention, take lots of notes, and ask lots of questions. I love it when you ask questions, so feel free to type a question in there, and we'll do my best to answer it as we go along. But uh, this morning, as we begin Luke chapter 6, part 3, uh, the Sermon on the Plain, let's first take out our prayer cards. If you have it there with you, it's in the, it's in the photos section of uh, the Brad Rally Ministries page. Uh, go ahead and take your prayer card out, and let's begin with this prayer before the study of Scripture. Just asking the Lord 
to truly illumine our hearts and minds. Hi, Cindy. Thanks for joining us. Let us pray. Illumine our hearts, O Master, lover of all humanity, with the pure light of your divine knowledge. Open the eyes of our hearts that we may understand your gospel teachings. Implant deep within us the fear of your blessed commandments, that through them we may conquer all carnal desires and may be transformed to live, both thinking and doing the things that are pleasing to you. For you, O Lord, are the light of our souls and bodies, and unto you we give all glory and praise, together with our Father, who is from everlasting, and the all-holy, good, and life-creating Spirit, now and ever, and unto ages of ages. Amen. Let me tell you one of the reasons I really like praying that prayer, uh, and it has to do with kind of the the essence of prayer and praying through the ages. That is, a, as I've told you before, that's a very ancient prayer. It was written somewhere down in the the uh, 400s, I, I believe, by St. John Chrysostom. He gets the credit for it. Uh, he was an archbishop, patriarch of Constantinople in the Eastern Church. In one of the greatest sermon uh, sermonizers ever. Uh, in fact, that name Chrysostom means golden-mouthed. He was just an incredible orator, and we have volumes of his collections of sermons that can be read and researched on the ancient faith. But um, one of the reasons I really like it is because when you pray those words, you're actually, remember that God hears our prayers outside of time and space. Isn't that amazing? God hears our prayers outside of time and space because God lives outside of time and space. He's not bound by time and space. So we're praying this in 2020, and St. John Chrysostom prayed it in 400 or whenever, and or 300 and something, and, and God hears them all at once. So we're literally praying through the ages, all at once. That's that's an awesome thought. I just I just love that. So you enter into the spirit of Saint John and the spirit of Christians all throughout the ages, and who are even this moment praying all throughout the world to ask the Lord to help us to illumine our eyes. So as uh, as we get started here today, I want you hope you've got your Bibles open to Luke chapter six. Uh, oh, let me just mention too while I'm at it. Um, I moved because I know some of you on this have been watching and listening and participating in my Wednesday night study on the book of Psalms that's in the church in Udall where I am pastoring, the Udall United Methodist Church, and as well as my Sunday morning uh, services, worship services, which are at 9.30 on Sunday mornings. I've been broadcasting those live on Brad Riley Ministries and promoting that uh, ministry to get people to like the page at Udall United Methodist Church, and many of you have done that, so thank you. If you have not done that, do me a favor, just just go do it. Type in Udall United Methodist Church, click like on that page. Last night, I began streaming live the Wednesday night Book of Psalms study, and I will the Sunday mornings. I began streaming them live on their page instead of doing it on my Brad Riley Ministries page, because I really want to try and build it. I did it initially through mine so that I could advertise it and kind of build it up. Um, hi, Pam. Good to see you there. I think I saw my mom's name pop up on the screen, too. Uh, Neva Riley. Thanks, Mom, for being in on this. 
but I really want to build that church up. That's that's why I took it. It's part of my ministry to help build up the church everywhere, and uh, took the the ministry role as pastor there. And uh, it, it, the more people that like it, the more people that'll see it. And uh, so by streaming there on Sundays and Wednesdays. Uh, now that over 200 likes, uh, thank you, just in the last month or so, we have over 200 likes on a page that, that was really just a fledgling page to begin with that nobody was really seeing very much except for the few people there in Udall that, that had started it at once upon a time. So doing everything I can to mobilize the army to build that page and, and to build that church up. So invite you over to watch on Sunday mornings or Wednesday nights and catch up on the Book of Psalms and our worship services. So let's look, let's jump into Luke chapter 6. These are Jesus' words. Luke calls them the Sermon on the Plain rather than the Sermon on the Mount. Let me explain that just a little bit. When you're around the Sea of Galilee and it's surrounded by the hills, and one of those hills is one that's become known as the Mount of Beatitudes, uh, clearly, as we heard in the last week's lesson, it says he, when he came down, he had went up into the mountain, called his disciples, chose his twelve, came back down, and it says there was a great crowd around him. It says he came down and stood on a level place. And then he did a lot of ministry and he healed everybody. But there, there is, as you come down from the Mount of Beatitudes, there's, it, it levels out towards the sea. So clearly the people were wrapping around in such a way that by the time he, he spoke, he's really on the mount, but he's probably on a more level, lower part of the mount. And it's such that people are gathering all along the hillside and the seashore. We, we can't know exactly what the formation looked like, but don't get confused because one calls it the Sermon on the Mount, one calls it Sermon on a Plain. Either way, it's the greatest sermon you've ever heard. Let's hear it now. I'm just going to read the first six verses this morning. Hi, Dennis. Thanks for joining us. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you that hunger now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you that weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when men hate you, and when they exclude you and revile you, and cast out your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day, and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. For so their fathers did to the prophets. But woe to you that are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you that are full now, for you shall hunger. Woe to you that laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. And woe to you when all men speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I'm going to just circle something here because as I read it, I was like, wow, I've got to make a point to come back to that. Let's begin with this thought. In this sermon, Jesus is doing two things. He is preaching or pronouncing benedictions upon his followers. He's blessing them. He's, he's pronouncing that they are blessed and that they will be blessed. So the, the word benediction comes from a Latin word, benedictus, 
which literally means to speak good words, to speak words that are favorable. So God's word spoken over, spoken over us is a, is a blessing. It's a benediction. And, uh, and that's what this is. But he's also doing something else. He's speaking curses to those who are not his followers, to those who will ultimately end up finally in a state of lost. So there's two things happening here. Two, two, uh, he's speaking to two different groups. And good morning, Sylvia. Good to have you join us. What I, what I really want us to focus on this morning is I want us to look at our lives today in the world we live. We didn't choose when to be born. We, we are born in the most luxurious time in the history of humanity. Nobody's ever lived as soft and as rich as we do. So I want us to put that into perspective this morning. Where do we fit into this sermon? And uh, it, we didn't choose that, though. But we do have to choose how we live in the time that we are given, in the time that we are here. John, thanks for joining in this morning. So when you hear these words, don't think, Hi, Rhonda, good to see you. Don't think about these were words spoken 2,000 years ago. And what was there, what was rich then, and what was poor then, and, and what was they think about today? Because these words are forever. These words are forever and ever. And they apply to us, they apply to everyone who will ever live until Jesus comes again. So as we think about that, let's begin with verse 20. And let, let's see what's happening here. I love the language here. That, that is used. Luke's using beautiful language. He says, and he lifted up his eyes on his disciples. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples. I mean, there's just something lovely about that thought, that Jesus looks up and upon his disciples. I mean, don't you love the idea that Jesus is looking over you? That Jesus is cast his gaze upon you. Remember the people in the crowds in the streets that, that were just clawing and pawing to get near Jesus and that, that one woman who just reached out to touch him and she just they just wanted to see the master. They wanted to see the great teacher. And, and here it says, in the midst of this crowd, Jesus lifted up his eyes. Now this word for lifted up is a Greek word and, and it's, a word, it's spelled E-P-A-I-R-O. Epairo. Epairo. E-P-A-I-R-O. And it, and it literally means to look upon some, not just to look. I mean, we look all the time. We're always looking, okay? It, it, unless we're blind, we're always looking. But it, it doesn't, we're, we're always gazing at something. But this is a gaze with blessing. This is a blessed gaze. This is a gaze of beauty. This is a gaze of intent. Same Greek word used in the old Greek Septuagint back in the book of Numbers. Okay, now remember the Septuagint was a Greek Bible, the very first full translation of a Bible written by Jews 250 years before Jesus Christ was born. So it's Old Testament. And in the Septuagint, this is the word that was used here in, when they these Jews translated their Hebrew into Greek. Why did they do that? Because they wanted, because the Jews had been scattered all over the world uh, through the uh, the dominations by the Babylonians and the Assyrians. And, and so there was this need. Greek was the language of the world. And so they wanted their scriptures in Greek. So Jewish scholars translated the 
even the Old Testament. We know the New Testament is first written in Greek, but even the Old Testament, the Jewish scholars translated into Greek. And in Numbers chapter 6, verse 26, you know that beautiful prayer, that Levitical blessing, you know, of Aaron when he says, the Lord uh, bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. Uh, and he says, the Lord lift his Lift up his countenance upon you. Same word. Same Greek word. The Lord lifting his countenance upon you. And that blessing says, and give you peace. I love that. I just love that. So, uh, there is this sense that that Jesus is looking upon them with a a lovely gaze, loving eyes. And he's going to fill them with the greatest words they'll ever hear or ever will hear, or ever read again in their lives. Recorded for us right here. He lifted up his eyes on his disciples, and he said, Blessed are you who are poor. He begins with the poor. I want to think about that for a minute. Why does he begin? There's there's actually a sequence here at what Jesus is doing. These aren't just random thoughts. He knows what he's saying, and he's speaking to this crowd. Now, most of Jesus' followers were poor, literally poor. Most of the people were poor. Uh, in that day, there was no middle class. I mean, there was poverty and there was wealth, extreme opulent wealth. But there typically was, most of the masses were poor. And and these are the people that are following Jesus. And, and it's amazing how that parallels to today. It, it, it really does. There are many philosophers, world leaders, different people who like to think they're philosophers, who, who think of religion. I know the communist leader, uh, Marxist leader, Karl Marx did, uh, and, and so of all that. They thought of religion as an opiate for the masses. In other words, something to make the poor people feel good. That's a very, uh, that's a very cynical and a very uh, horrible view of something that God gifted the world with, which is faith. And, and this, this word religion, we sometimes don't like that word religion because we don't feel it's real faithful and it's just something we work through. But there is a sense in which that word is a true and very good word. Now, he's speaking to the poor and he says, you're blessed. I mean, everybody that's poor is always looking for a way out of poverty. I mean, it's the culture we live in. Now, in that day, I don't think it was as true. Because, hi, Dwayne, thanks for joining in today. Because, you know, there, there was not this, this, this uh, they didn't have continual books being written and continual people speaking about how to get ahead in life and the road to success and climbing ladders. I mean, people were born into the world. The world didn't change a whole lot. Now it changes rapidly, but then it didn't change a lot. And, and you lived and you died for generations in your state of being, which was usually poor. But Jesus wants them to know in that poverty, they're blessed. In fact, they're the most blessed people on earth. And he wants them to get that. And so today, as we look at ourselves, we're going to answer the question, why were they the most blessed people on earth? And why is that still true? And then we want to answer the question, who are we on this poverty spectrum of the gospel? Now, the first question, why were they the most blessed people in the world? 
because they had only Jesus. Their only hope for living a life that had fulfillment was to know the joy that comes from being touched by Jesus, being blessed by God. I mean, without God, if we take God out of the equation, life is a horrible place to be. I mean, it, it, it's not a good life. Life, uh, the world is a difficult place. It beats us up continually. As Jesus said, oftentimes there is a prince of darkness who is in this world. And this world is a very, and as St. Paul said, it's a battle against spiritual forces, not just flesh and blood. And, and it's a tough place to be. So we need joy. We need life abundant. And that's what Jesus came to give. And he says, you're blessed if you have it when you're poor. So, because they have no one else to rely on but Jesus. That's, and that's where ultimately we all have to be. We have to come to a place where the only thing we have in this world is Jesus. Now, I think, I think that today's modern culture is really being challenged by that. Really being challenged because there's so much wealth. There. Even the poorest of us Americans are wealthy when we consider how they lived and how much of the world lives. And it says here, um, let's see, Jesus became lowly and poor for them. Yes, the King of Heaven. That's right, Sylvia. The King of Heaven, the Creator of the heavens and the earth, gave it all up to divest himself of the splendor, to become the poorest of the poor, born in a manger. Can't get any lower than that. And then raised in a home that was very, very simple. Not in the world's wealth. And, and so you're right, he did. And Lenora, thanks for joining in today. And, and we're at a place today where we're living in this world, there is so much wealth. I mean, I, it blows my mind when I stop and think about I mean, touch a button, have food instantly, you know, warm it up. My, 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 uh, my Duncan's getting a little cold, actually, here. But it's good, especially with that pumpkin spice in it. But I like it better hot. You know, all I have to do is go, I could go put it in a microwave, touch a button, 15, 20 seconds later, it's hot. I mean, what kind of craziness is this that we have such wealth? You know, we just, oh, it's too warm in here? Turn on the air conditioning. Turn the thermostat down a little. Turn the air conditioning up. Every, I mean, we live in the lap of luxury. We live like princes did. Better than princes and princess in the ancient world. So nobody's known, but yet we struggle. We complain. We think we don't have enough. We're constantly buying into what the world says, which has got to get ahead, got to make more, got to do more. Um, I'm telling you, it's a crazy rat race. And if we're not careful, we get sucked right into it. And we lose perspective on what it means to be blessed in our poverty. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God, I've said this many times, the kingdom of God is not just what is coming when Christ returns again. That's coming in its fullness but it's already here. The kingdom of God. We enter the kingdom of God when we enter in faith and relationship with Jesus Christ. And we now are his subjects. He's our king and he's our benevolent, loving king. He's our savior and we live in his kingdom. 
and we worship in his kingdom. And when we come together and worship in the house of the Lord, there is a special manifestation of his kingdom. Um, I, I I can't talk to you enough about that because the ancient people in those days, they understood that mystery. They, they understood that because they believed more in mystery. Today, the modern man doesn't believe in mystery. The modern man, especially in Western culture, we think we can figure anything out. And we pretty much have a lot of things. I mean, we put men on the moon. We cure diseases. We, you know, we're, we're, we're ramping up putting everything and every resource we have into trying to get a, a, a pandemic, uh, this, this virus uh, vaccine out just as quickly as possible. And, hey, I'm all in favor of that, but I'm just saying we've lost perspective on what it means to live in the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is the only place where there is real peace, where there is real joy, where there is real laughter, where there is real love. And that can be ours with through faith in the mystery of God And it can be ours right here if we understand it is with us. And it has nothing to do with whether we are physically well or physically at war or whatever the surroundings are. It has nothing, or whether we have great wealth in our bank accounts and our pantries all stocked. It has nothing to do with that. It has to do with the position of the soul. Blessed are you when you are poor in your soul because then God comes and God fills it with his joy, with his kingdom. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Heaven, you can't buy heaven. You can't buy entrance into heaven. Jesus told the parable of the one guy who slips in to the, uh, to the heavenly banquet and he's not dressed right. And he says, you don't belong here. You, there is no way in to the kingdom of God except through the front door. And that door is faith. That door is faith. And we know that faith in Jesus Christ is the entrance to the kingdom of of God. So, blessed are you poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. I mean, if we we die with nothing else, if what the world calls total poverty, uh, but we die with the kingdom of God in our soul, we die the richest person in the world. Isn't that amazing? Because everything else comes true that we're going to learn about this morning. So he goes from there. He builds the next one. You know, poverty. What, what is it that poor people and, and people in poverty, uh, when we're talking physical poverty now, have scarcity of? Food. It's hard. Where's my next meal going to come from? How am I going to eat? Um, that was a great concern for people. And so Jesus is going to use that image to talk about the blessing of hungering. Uh, in Matthew's, Matthew's, you remember, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. But Luke says, blessed are you that hunger now. I love that. Circle that word now. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be satisfied. Satisfied. Isn't that what we want? We want what so everybody's looking for satisfaction. I mean, Mick Jagger wrote a song about he can't get no satisfaction. You remember that? I mean, looking in, everybody's looking for satisfaction in all the wrong places. They're looking for it in their careers, in their bank accounts, in their physical relationships, uh, in, in, in things. Everybody's looking to be satisfied. 
And Jesus is sitting there telling us, none of it will satisfy except one thing, and that's hunger now for that which truly fills. And we know that is the Word of God. And the Word of God, I don't mean just the Bible, I mean Jesus Christ, the Logos, God Himself. To hunger and thirst for Him is to hunger and thirst for righteousness. And if we really are hungering and thirsting for Him, we'll hunger and thirst for His Word. Okay? We will hunger and thirst for the things of Him. And if we hunger now, so no matter what our present poverty looks like, no matter how empty we feel, we can be filled. And we shall be satisfied. Even if we never get satisfied in this world. In other words, even if, like I said a minute, we die the most impoverished person in the world, or we, we die in pain and loss of great agony or whatever the situation, or we die a horrible death because terrorists come and take our lives. It doesn't matter what it is. If we hunger now, we shall be satisfied. We shall be satisfied. The greatest, the greatest satisfaction is coming not in this present age, but in the age to come. And he's promising that to these people. He's saying, you're blessed. You are blessed. This word blessed, I'll talk about it for a minute. It's a Greek word, makarios. Makarios. I don't think I spelled it out for you. M-A-K-A-R-I-O-S, I think. Makarios. It, it literally means to be happy. To be filled with joy. Overflowing. True joy. Um, it's the same when we go back into Psalm 1, the very first psalm, when Wednesday nights we're studying the psalms down in, in the Udall Church, and Psalm 1 begins that way. Blessed is the man who does not sit in the you know, seat of scoffers and things. Blessed is the man who has joy and wisdom in the Lord. So that's the same word. And it, 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 sometimes it's translated happy. Back in the 1980s, I think it was, and I have a book in my library somewhere, um, autographed, by the way, because he came to Wichita to the Better Book Room. There's a name from the past, Christian Bookstore from downtown. Love that place. It was such a such an iconic, wonderful store. Um, the Better Book Room. Robert Schuler, the minister, uh, I think he was a Dutch Reformed ordained minister, had, of course, a television ministry, had the Crystal Cathedral out in California, was oftentimes uh, accused of being a very prosperity gospel preacher, and, and I don't, I'm not his judge, I don't know, but he had a lot of good things to say, too. And he wrote a book that I really enjoyed. He wrote a book called The Be Happy Attitudes. Instead of the Be Attitudes, he said The Be Happy Attitudes. Um, and I, I got a comment here from Sylvia. It says, maybe it is hard for the rich to hunger. Yes, yes, yes. I want to come back to that. But to be happy attitudes, be happy. You know, just this idea of blessedness when we recognize how blessed we are in Christ. We have all the riches. We're blessed with all, as Paul says, we're blessed with all the riches of the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Wow. We really don't need anything except Jesus. And, and so Sylvie's comment is good. Maybe it's hard for the rich to hunger. I think that's true. I think it's hard. When you have the ability to get anything you want, what are you hungry for? And I bet you if you talked to most 
what our world, now we're talking about physical wealth, richer people would say. And I, I bet you behind closed doors, behind the closed doors of their life and their heart, you would find some really empty chambers because all the things of this world cannot buy the filling, the blessedness, the happiness, the joy that Jesus is offering here. None of it. None of it can be bought. And so if you're used to living, and, and here's, here's the rub for our world today. I'm certainly not rich. <laughs> not, not by American standards. Nowhere close. But yet I am. I am. Because I have too much food on my pantry shelf and in my refrigerator. I have money left over at the end of the month. What, what, I'm, I'm rich, really. I mean, most people don't know. If you look at the 6 billion or so people on planet Earth, most of them do not know where their food will come from tomorrow. That's a staggering thought. Most of them do not know where their food will come from tomorrow. So, we are blessed. We are blessed beyond our understanding. And with that kind of blessedness, in, in this, just this physical, worldly blessedness that we have, comes the ability to lose our focus on the real blessedness that Jesus is promising. We get too comfortable in this world. And I'm going to come back to that thought. I mean, talk about, let me write that down, comfort of the world. I'm going to come back to that at the end of our time today. See how am I doing on time? Boy, I'm already on the second half hour. Um, okay. So, blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be filled. Blessed are you that weep now, for you shall laugh. This word laugh is a fascinating word. It's a word that, that can easily be switched out for joy. I, I think I had it written down in my notes here, uh, but I might not have. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Nope, I didn't write it down. Sorry. Uh, so I can't give you the Greek spelling of it. But it literally means to, to laugh with joy. Okay, with, with, with this happiness, this contentment. He, it's not to just laugh because a joke was funny. Okay, it's not laugh. We can laugh a lot of different ways. But this word, in its Greek context, means to laugh from overflowing joy. But it, Jesus is giving us some, this is incredible uh, wisdom here. Uh, before you can laugh, before you can even know joy, you have to weep. You have to feel the pain. So first in life comes sorrow, then joy comes with healing. You know that, that old scripture, the scripture that says, and joy comes in the morning. Okay, so first, there, there is sorrow in this world. And Jesus tells us, get ready. In this world, you will have trouble. You will have tribulation. There is great sorrow. But take heart. Take heart, for I have overcome the world, Jesus says. And in him, we can laugh. We can be joyful in this world, even in the midst of depressing pandemics, even in the midst of, of world wars. Even in the, I mean, when the world seems to be falling apart, we as Christian people do not have to fall apart with it. We can hang on to our faith and our understanding that no matter what happens around us, we're blessed because we're in Christ. So 
We have to weep now. What do you weep for? Think about it with me. What do you weep for? I hope you weep. Uh, I, I hope you're not just weeping for yourself. I hope you're weeping for others. Weeping for others. We need to weep in this world. Jesus wept. In the Gospel of Luke, we haven't got there yet. Jesus wept. Shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. Jesus knew in our humanity we need to have times of weeping. Because only through that, only through knowing sorrow, can we truly know what joy and blessedness is. So, these are the blessings. Uh, He has one more to pronounce, one more benediction to pronounce in Luke's version here. Blessed are you when men hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and cast out your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. That little phrase there, on account of the Son of Man, is very important. Okay, uh, What he's saying there is for taking a stand for Christ, for believing in Jesus and living as that belief, publicly professing your faith in Jesus Christ. When the world looks down upon you, reviles you, even casts you out, hates you, you're the most blessed of all. Now, we need to get that through our head because that's where they were living. Remember, in the first century, the Jewish faith into which Jesus comes into the world, he's, he's a Jew, he's born in a Jewish family, he's, he, he comes into the world. Judaism was a legal faith under the Roman Empire. They were allowed to live out their faith. They were allowed by the Romans to uh, to be Jews, if you will, in their worship, in their lifestyle, and everything, their beliefs. So as Christianity comes into place after, of course, Jesus' life, death, resurrection, ascension, and the people are beginning to claim and stand for Christ, he is the Messiah, what we see happening is there is great tension within the Jewish faith. The first Christians early Christianity was Jew, were Jews, and it was Jewish. And it, it wasn't like they were just born and, and all of a sudden Christianity became this separate religion. No, it was part of Judaism. And what began to happen to these Christians is they were being reviled and mocked and kicked out of the temple. And, uh, I mean, they were, in, they were really experiencing exile if you couldn't be a part of the temple, you, that was the source of life in your community. And so they were, they were really, truly being persecuted. And then, of course, it goes on from there. Christianity, as, these evol- as Christianity evolves into a sep- truly a separate religion in time, while Judaism remains, it has its legal status, Christianity becomes hated by the Roman Empire. And so much so that it gets blamed you know, for things and gets persecuted and Christians are, we know the horror stories of of the martyrs and how they were persecuted. So what Jesus, this blessing, this final blessing, it's about to come true in their lives. I mean, this is in the the 30s and by the, by the, within 20 or 30 years from now, there's great persecution in the lives of these followers, great persecution. But he wants them to know, he wants them to hear, he wants them to remember that they're blessed because they stood up for the Son of Man. 
And he says, rejoice in that day and leap for joy. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. For so their fathers did to the prophets. These same Jews that are treating these Christians that way, their ancestors, their fathers, treated the other people who were proclaiming and taking a stand for God, namely the prophets. They, they reviled them, they cast them out, in fact, they killed them. So, they're doing to the Christians exactly what their forefathers did to the prophets. When you stand for Christ, when you stand for God, the truth, you're going to be reviled by the world. It's just it's the way it is. We have lived in an era of what I like to call, <clears throat> excuse me, what I like to call kind of a, a blessed peace, a, a spiritual peace. I mean, in my, <clears throat> pardon me, let me take another, it needs, that means I need more pumpkin spice. Mm. In my life in this world, I, I'm amazed that I've grown up in such freedom and ability to worship and choose where I want to worship and really to suffer no religious persecution. I, I have not had people scorn me for being a Christian, and you probably haven't either much. Maybe you have some uh, in certain places, but, but not much, not in our free country. But boy, the tables are turning. The tables are rapidly turning. Just as their tables were about to turn, our tables are about to turn. I can feel it happening. Uh, Christianity is not respected as it once was. Uh, in our world, in our very culture right here in America. And, and in fact, it, I'm not pronouncing the end of Christianity in America, of course. The church, Jesus said, I will build my church. But I think great changes are in store for the church of Jesus Christ in America. In the Western world, let's call it that. Uh, great changes. Maybe even persecution. I don't know how soon, how fast, but I could see it happening. And if you can't see it, open your eyes. Because politically everywhere, that the laws that are being passed, the, the way the culture is going, everything is pointing against this idea of loving God and loving others in the sense of uh, worship of Jesus Christ and proclaiming the gospel and the freedom to do so. But he, wants the, he told them and he wants us to rejoice in that day. And I think that word that right there is very important. He, he's... He's, he's saying, when that day of persecution comes, just rejoice. Just rejoice because you know that great is your reward in heaven. Not here on earth, but in heaven, where it really counts. Because that's forever and ever. And it never fades and it never goes away. And you, you can never lose your reward there. So that's, that's so important for us to grab. Now, so those are the blessings Okay, those are the, ble the benedictions. Now Jesus turns and he pronounces the exact opposite curses. Okay, kind of like back in the book of Deuteronomy, Moses preached a similar message of blessings and curses. Life, a way of life and a way of death. And now here is Jesus preaching to the people. So he begins with, in verse 24, this word, woe. Let's take a look at that word real quick. He pronounces these woes. Uh, this word woe is, is uh, it, it's actually uh, a word that is O-U-A-I, Owai, Owai, okay, Owai, 
in the, in the Greek. And, and it's a word that literally means heavy trouble. I mean, this is, this is woe, okay? This is, this is a powerful thing. Um, and, and the way Jesus uses it, it gets progressively worse. And you'll see that. You don't notice it in the English translated Bibles really much. But when you compare it to the Greek, you see that what Jesus does is he, the heaviness of the woe gets greater with each one he pronounces. So he begins here in our, in our English by, Woe to you that are rich. Started with the poor, starts with the rich. Woe to you that are rich, you've already received your consolation. This is it. Enjoy your wealth now because you ain't getting any when this world is over is basically what he's saying. Now, we know that he's not speaking specifically that all physically, financially wealthy, rich people do not get into heaven. That's not what Jesus is saying. But he's always looking at the intent of the heart. And he does say that it's difficult for wealthy people in this world to be able to live in such a way with their heart that they live in total dependence upon God and to to make it into heaven, if you will, into the kingdom of heaven. Jesus talks about that a lot. So he wants to pronounce this woe on the rich. He says, woe to you who are rich. And I think we need to receive that word today. I, I really do. I just noticed Tim's watching. Hi, Tim. Good to, good to have you watching. I think we need to receive that word of the Lord. Woe to you who are rich. I, I think pretty much you could say that to everyone in America today. Pretty much all of us. I mean, there's an awful lot of homeless people that that wouldn't fit to, but, but a lot of America. Woe to you that are rich. We're rich. And we don't even appreciate how rich we are. We just want to complain. Very often we want to complain. Our, our whatever, our, our car's not fast enough, our house is not cool enough, our food's not hot enough, our, you know, whatever. We just complain, 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 complain. And we didn't have to go kill that food either. We just bought it off the store shelf or sat down in a restaurant and had somebody else bring it to us. I mean, really? I mean, where is our, why do we complain the way we Woe to you that are rich, for you've received your consolation. This world's joy is all you're getting. Now, in the next one, he says, Woe to you that are full now, for you shall hunger. Here's the the idea of uh, the opposite again. Blessed are you that hunger now, but woe to you that are full now. This word full is a really important word. It's in the Greek, it's korazo. Korazo. C-H-O-R-A-T-Z-O. Korazo. And it literally means, it doesn't just mean full, it means stuffed. It means gorged. Okay? Woe to you that are gorged on this world. Woe that are you that have satiated your appetite so much in this world, you don't, you don't even understand what you have. Because, he says, you will hunger. It's all going away. Whether it doesn't go away in this world, it will in the next because you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. Scary prophecy, really. Jesus is pronouncing some really difficult words here. And and then he says, Woe to you that laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. You think you have joy now. You you literally laugh. And here, this concept is, is, is preceding the idea of weeping, 
because really what he's saying is these people don't even know how to mourn. They just, they just got it so easy. They don't know how to mourn. Now, here's the progression. And then he says, finally, woe to you when all men speak well of you. What do you and all men speak well of? We'll come back to that for a minute. But the progression I mentioned to you here, it's an increasing uh, level of terseness in the words of Jesus. Because in the Greek, he begins with woe to you. Then it's just woe you. And then finally, it's just woe. <laughs> woe when this happens. And, and you, in, the, in, the, in the Greek language, they could read it, they felt it, and they heard. It was this incre- increasing level of tension and terseness to what this heaviness of what Jesus is pronouncing to them. And this final one kind of fits that beautifully. It's woe to you when all men speak well of you. Woe to you when all men speak well of you. For so their fathers did to the false prophets. To the false prophets. There were false prophets all over. If you go back and read the stories in in, uh, Ezekiel and and Jeremiah and Isaiah and the stories in the times of Elijah, there were always false prophets. The kings would get a prophet that told them what they wanted to hear. There's always been false prophets. There are false prophets in Jesus' day, and there are false prophets in our day. There are false prophets telling people what they want to hear. Pastors, churches that refuse to preach about the reality of sin, the realities of a heaven to be gained and a hell to be shunned are just preaching what the people want to hear. You can only have so much of that feel-good preaching. I mean, it just I don't want to get on a soapbox here, but I think we've lost in our world a lot of ministers have lost the art of really opening the Word of God in biblical exposition to bring it to life for the people of God to apply it to their lives. And we're too busy preaching out of the latest book that was written because it's such a great seller and it's got such good psychology and it's got such good words of to, to bring us joy and happiness. And you know you, it's just filling our ears with what we want to hear. I mean there's a, there, I'm not calling for a return to the days of going back to church when it was just all about hellfire and brimstone. I'm not, not at all. Because I think all things, but I think all things need to be balanced. And we clearly have gone through a period in the last 20 or 30 years of Christian ministry. Look at the books. Almost none were ever written on sin in the last 20 years. Almost none were written about hell in the last 20 or 30 years, except for the famous one that got written by Rob Bell that basically says there is no hell. And then, of course, Francis Chan wrote one uh, to counter that that says, oh, yes, there is. So these words, these words fall heavy today. I want you to hear the blessing, okay? I, I just, I want to circle these words as we kind of close today. This idea I, I put on here, uh, com- the comfort of the world. I, I, want, I want your life to be blessed. I want you to enjoy the blessings of God. I think about people I've known in my past who live to be 80, 90, 100 years old and their kids live to be old and and they're, they're, they, they never had a problem. They were never unemployed. They never even got sick much. Everything just looked to go good. You know what? I pray that for you. I pray that for my own family. 
It's okay to pray for that. Okay? It's okay to pray for that. We want God's favor. We want God's blessings. And God's favor is upon the righteous. The question is, are we righteous? Okay? Now, I want that, and I want to pray for that, but I also want to be prepared for these kind of things, because it's coming. The days are coming when we may not be so favored. And we just need to be prepared for that. Because if we're not, we may find ourselves losing our lives in Christ. That's right. I believe Scripture is clear that it is possible to lose our status in Christ. I don't like the word lose because it makes it sound like God is careless. Okay, the old, the kind of that Calvinistic, oh, you can't lose your salvation. I like to say, well, I agree. I don't think you can lose it. I just think you can forfeit it. I think you can forfeit it. And I think you can find yourself doing that either on purpose or just moving so far away from God, you one day just don't even believe anymore and don't forget it. And, and you know, I've, in, in some of my personal study time, I've been listening to a study uh, through the book of Revelation, because so many people are, are just today just talking about, you know, is this the apocalypse? Is this the end of times? And, and, and uh, you know, I, I would say the same thing to you. I've always say, probably not, probably not, because number one, when you start to really expect it, that's kind of when Jesus says he's not coming. He's coming at a time when you, people don't expect it, really. Um, but the realities are there's always been wars, there's always been pandemics, there's always been viruses, there's always been sickness, there's always been earthquakes, there's always been hurricanes. And yes, they increase more, and yes, things get worse to the end, but what is time to God? You know, I, So we need to not worry about whether this is the apocalypse. We just need to live the life that he says is blessed. Okay, And in that context, I've been learning and reading and studying uh, some things on Revelation, the book of Revelation, and I, and I love the point that was made by this teacher that, you know, when Jesus writes the letter, uh, those seven letters to the churches, that's what the book of Revelation is, is a book of seven letters. I mean, it's a letters to seven churches, a letter to seven churches. And he talks to that one church, and now I forget which one it is because I didn't put this in my notes. I'm just ad-libbing here. Um, but the one who's lost their first love. Remember that? And, 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 and the point is, He's actually saying, be careful. Be careful because you may lose it all. You know, well, how is that? You know, for those that have a, sal- uh, uh, a theology that says, once you're saved, you're always saved. You can't lose your salvation. You know, that makes no sense even in what Jesus is writing in those letters. He's warning them to not get too comfortable because they'll lose their first love and they might just lose everything. So, as we kind of bring this to a close today, I want to thank you for saying this is just the first third of the Sermon on the Plain from the Gospel of Luke, These, the greatest sermon you've ever heard, the greatest sermon ever preached, the greatest words ever spoken, the greatest wisdom ever heard and experienced from the words of Jesus from the Sermon on the Mount, the Sermon on the Plain, the Beatitudes. We're going to look at the next section next week, so we've gotten through verse 26, between verse 20 and verse 38, we're going to take it in three sections. So thanks for joining in today. I, I pray I pray for you today. I pray God's blessings on you. Let's lift, let's lift up the words as Jesus lifted up his eyes upon his disciples. May God lift up his eyes upon you.
May God lift up his countenance upon you. And as it says in the Levitical blessing, give you peace. So in the midst of all your fears, in the midst of all your worries, in the midst of all the things that are happening uncertain in our world today, may you know the peace of Christ, the peace that passes understanding. Thank you, Father. Thank you for the promise of that peace. Thank you, Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for dying to give us that peace. And thank you, Holy Spirit, for making that peace an inner reality in our lives. We ask this now in the strong name of the Holy Trinity, one God, now and forever and unto ages of ages. Amen and amen. Thank you for joining me today. God bless you. Uh, if you have some more questions or thoughts, just put them down. I'll look at the uh, look at the screen after we close. I'm going to zip out to work right now, but God bless you and the rest of your day. We'll see you next week. Ugh. <sighs>